we're born again believers, God has purpose for our life. Nobody in here is insignificant. Nobody in here uh, should ever think of themselves as not being capable or not being usable by God. If you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm here to tell you that God has gifted you uh, with spiritual giftings. He has a purpose and a plan for your life. Yes, you. I need everybody to confess me right now. Say, Lord, I thank you for giving me purpose. Just touch yourself with your heart. Say, Lord, I thank you for giving me destiny. Hallelujah. All of us have purpose and destiny. And God wants to utilize us to do kingdom building business. Proverbs 19, verse number 21. We're going to go back there and read that one. And then we're going to go to Acts chapter 1 and then 2 Timothy chapter number 2. I want to just delve into We've been talking about fulfilling our purpose. And as we've shared with you, the three components that we've dealt with was engaging, equipping, and empowering. Everybody say engage, engage. equip. And empower. And this empowering session is what we're getting into and in, in trying to put the finishing touch on that because that is crucially important for us as believers to understand where does the power source come from. There's a power source that causes these lights in this building to come on. And uh, if something happens to that transformer, uh, if it blows or, or if, if a tornado comes through and knocks down the lines, then we won't get the power source injected into this building and we would be in the dark, right? How many of y'all have been through a storm and, and the lights went out? Yeah. And, and it didn't go out because you didn't pay your bill. It, it went out because the storm came through, right? Whenever you get disconnected from the power source, we don't have light. So we're going to engage, equip, and we're talking about empower today. Now, look at, again, Proverbs 19, 21, and let's read it out loud and on purpose. It says, well, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. Let's read it again. You can make many plans. I've done it before, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. Now, we've been talking about uh, fulfilling our purpose, and let's go to Acts chapter 1, because we, what we discovered is Jesus called 12 men to be his disciplined ones to be his apostles. Is that correct? He called those 12 men, but in studying those 12 men's life and even while they walk with the master here on earth, we discovered that those 12 guys, even though Jesus had called them and given them purpose and given them destiny, they had a lot of messed up junk going on on the inside of them, right? We discovered that they, they didn't have commitment. They, they, they were not they didn't have any spiritual understanding. And I'm afraid that, guys, we're living in an age now in our churches where we have church members, people who have been born again, but don't have any spiritual understanding. And God says, if I'm going to uh, 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 get you to the point to where you're fulfilling your destiny, if you're going to walk in divine purpose, we got to get some spiritual understanding. Everybody say spiritual understanding. Those guys, those guys had a lot of stuff going on. They, they, had, they had a lot of issues. They had stuff in, inside them that needed to come out. But, but more important than anything else, they had not been empowered yet with the source that was going to enable them to be strong warriors for Christ. Can I get a witness? So let's go to Acts chapter number one, verse number six. So Jesus knew this. Uh, y'all know Peter. Peter, uh, the one that was uh, braggadocious and boastful, the one who was the first one to speak out. Uh, the, the one who said when Jesus said, when Jesus proclaimed his death, his, his, his impending death on the cross of Calvary, he's the one that rebuked Jesus, saying, no, that's not going to happen. He was the one that said, Lord, uh, I don't care what happens, I'll never deny you. And Jesus prophesied that he would deny him. And, and after Jesus had been arrested, guess what happened? When they came and said, you were with Jesus, said, no, I was not. Three times he denied him. And so these apostles had some stuff in them that needed to be worked out. Can I get a witness? So the text says this. So when the apostles were with Jesus, this is after Jesus had been crucified, uh, buried, and resurrected from the grave. He spent some time here on earth before ascending back up into heaven. It was approximately 40 days here, uh, tabernacking down here on earth after the crucifixion and the resurrection. And so he tells these guys, so when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Next verse says what? 
He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. Verse number 8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is prophesying to these guys that when the power source comes, when we receive the Holy Spirit, we're going to be those witnesses. The power source is given for us to be witnesses, guys. Let's go, if you will, to 2 Timothy chapter number 2 and look at verse number 2. The Apostle Paul is writing here to Timothy, his young son in the ministry, and he's writing Timothy. He tells him something that's very profound, and I need you to listen to this because a lot of times we spend a lot of time with people who don't really have a serious commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. We spend a lot of time trying to make people want Jesus. And look at what Paul told young pastor Timothy. Uh, He says, you have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other what? Trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. He said to Timothy, Timothy, I need you to take these truths that I'm giving you and find some trustworthy people in your congregation who you can pass this on to. Trustworthy people who are willing to be disciples. Now, guys, I got to tell you, I've been pastoring in 31 years. I recognize, and it freed me a long time ago, I recognize that everybody who's a member of this church has not sold out to Jesus Christ. Everybody that's born again who except the Christ is their Lord and Savior, have not committed to be a disciple, a disciplined one, one who will, who will live their life under the rulership and the authority of Christ. One who will say, Pastor, I know we have a mandate from God to be witnesses, and I want to learn how to be a better witness. Everybody in church, everybody in church don't, want, don't have that. Everybody in church don't want to get deeper. There are folks who want to come to church, have a good time, feel good about themselves, then leave and don't bother me. Pastor, don't be telling me, don't be asking me to to connect with some study. I study when I get ready. That's why you don't know nothing. Hello? Guys, if we're going to be serious about the Lord, everybody say, let's get serious. Look at your neighbor and say, let's get serious. Now, guys, Jesus told them back in Acts, He says, the power source, you're going to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. Is that what he says? Now, go to to Acts chapter number 2, and we're going to start reading at verse number 1. Got to walk through here. Baptized in the Holy Ghost. We're talking about fulfilling our purpose. This this morning, in particular, we're going to talk about Holy Spirit baptism. We left off here last week, and I want to delve into this, and I, I need you to hear what the Scriptures are saying. Talking about Holy Spirit baptism. Everybody say Holy Spirit baptism. Glory to God. Acts chapter number two. And we're going to begin our reading at verse one. It says, now on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. The text says, suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. The text says, verse, then, we looked like, then what looked like flames of tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. The Bible says this, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Spirit gave them this ability. I want you, if you would, Brother Jay, uh, let's see if we can go to the King James version of this because I, I want to, I'm going to stick with KJV throughout uh, the majority of this and we'll flip back and forth, but I want to go to KJV uh, in Acts, the second chapter, verse number four. Because I need y'all to hear this. The text says, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues, what? As the Spirit gave them utterance. Jesus had foretold about the baptism of the Holy Ghost, right? And he told them to go and wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from Ohio. Now, let's talk about receiving the baptism with the Holy Ghost. Now, the word baptized, guys, always means to submerge or immerse. Everybody say submerge or immerse. So when baptism is discussed, it involves a person being totally submerged into something. Notice I said into something. The the literal word baptized means to submerge or to immerse. It, it, It means to be totally submerged into something else. All right. 
Now, you can be totally submerged into Christ or you can be totally submerged into something else. How many of y'all before you came to the Lord was totally submerged in some, some debauchery? That's a fancy word for some nasty stuff. How many before you were born again was submerged into, okay, nah, I better not go there. How many of you before you were born again were submerged into sexuality that was not in line with God's word? Don't raise your hand. I don't, I don't want your children to, to see you, okay? Uh, how many of you before you were born again were submerged into, into, in, into Jack Daniels and Johnny Walker? Or Mickey's? Huh? Or T.J. Swan. Anybody remember T.J. Swan? Jerry remember that? We were submerged into stuff, totally submerged. Again, what does the word mean? It means to, 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 to submerge or to immerse, to be totally submerged into something. Baptism implies being all in. Ever say all in? It also implies that a change has taken place. Baptized people are changed people if they're truly baptized. Amen. Now, guys, listen to me carefully. Let's roll through this, and I want you to listen carefully as we go through the scripture. I want to unpack some of this because we're talking about Holy Spirit baptism. If Jesus told the apostles, those, those misfits, those band of misfits, those guys who were not the, 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 the best and the brightest and, and, the, and the most renowned people, God called them, Jesus Christ called them to be his first apostles. Is that right? But they needed some help. And, and, and they were, because they were, they were, you know, they, they had faults and thousands just like every one of us in here does. But what he's telling them is, he told them to go and wait in Jerusalem until you're being endued with power from on high. So look at the types of baptism. We talk about what baptism means. It means to submerge or to immerse. Two types. There's a physical baptism, which is water baptism. And then there's spiritual baptism. Okay. Two types. There's three numbers, but there are two types, okay? Physical baptism, which is water baptism, and then spiritual baptism. One is literal, done in water. The other is figurative, accomplished in the spirit, okay? So let's look at this right quick. I've given you this before, but let's, let's go back and, and remember these three numerical baptisms. First one is, number one, the Holy Spirit baptizes us in Jesus. This is known as the baptism, if I say, of the Holy Spirit. Everybody say, the Holy Spirit baptizes us in Jesus. This is known as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Go with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, and we're going to begin our reading at verse number 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 12. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Because, guys, if we don't get this, if we as a church don't understand what God has given us and it's available for us, then we're going to be hit and miss. We're going to be up and down, level to the ground. Some, you know, just, just not very consistent. How many of y'all, if you were honest with me, would tell me that in your Christian life, since you've been saved, there have been times where you've been inconsistent? Anybody been inconsistent? You know, running strong, good for two or three months, then all of a sudden you, you disappear for two or three months. Or you, you kind of... Go back to doing things the way you've always done them. Guys, Jesus Christ wants us to be consistent. Now watch what the text says. Read it, read. It says what? For as the body is one and hath many members and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also what? Is Christ. Next verse says what? Let's read. For by, are we all baptized into one body? whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into what? Into one spirit. Read it one more time. For by one spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, are we all baptized into one body. Whose body? What body is that? The body of Christ. So at the moment that you and I ask Christ to be our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit takes us and baptizes or places us into the body of Christ. That's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one 
taking us and putting us into the body of Christ. Amen? Can I get a witness? Are y'all tracking with me now? So the Holy Spirit baptizes us in Jesus. This is known as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Second thing we want to look at is, a, the second type of baptism is when a disciple of Christ, a minister, usually ordained minister, baptizes us in water. This is known as simply water baptism. Go to Matthew 28, verse number 19. How many of y'all have been water baptized? Okay, all right. Some have, some have not, okay? All right, now listen, water baptism is the sacrament that takes place, the rite of passage that comes into place for a person who's invited Christ into their heart to save them. Matthew 28, verse number 19. Let's look at it right quick. The text says, read together, it says what? Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Let's keep reading. Go to the next verse. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now, this is Jesus talking to his disciples before he goes back to heaven. And he gives what is commonly referred to as the Great Commission. Y'all have heard that term before? The Great Commission is what he's giving them. He says, go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. So what should happen is when a person is presented the gospel, told about Jesus and his sacrificial death on the cross, and, and how that sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection is the way that God says you can be in relationship with me. And when you, as a believer, as, as an individual, hear that and ask Christ in your heart to save you, at that moment, the Holy Spirit takes you and places you in the body of Christ. Now, the, sec- the, the first thing that we should do after receiving Christ is to be water baptized, which is the first commandment of obedience. Water baptism doesn't save you. Let me repeat that. Just going into the water doesn't save you. Baptism, water baptism is an outward profession to say that I died to the old man and I've been resurrected to the new man. If your heart has not been changed and you really didn't receive Christ and all you did was went down, dry, came up, wet, still operating as the old man. Y'all with me? But water baptism is important because when we do it, we're telling the world that, hey, listen, I've died to the old man and I've been resurrected to the new man. So water baptism is that right or sacrament administered by the church on the authority of Christ. Jesus himself never baptized anybody with water. Go to John, the fourth chapter. Look at this right quick. John 4, verse 1 and 2. Jesus is not the one who will baptize you with water. Look at what the text says in John chapter 4, verse number 1. Jesus himself never baptized with water. The Bible says this, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, watch what the latter part it says, Though Jesus himself baptized not, but his, who, who? His disciples. Jesus didn't water baptize anybody, but Jesus did. Jesus did, come on, baptize us with the Holy Ghost. Jesus' role was not to water baptize, but his role was to baptize us with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Can I get a witness? So, so, so. Number two, the second thing we look at, a disciple of Christ baptizes us in water. That's known as water baptism. Now, thirdly, Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. This is known as the baptism in or with the Holy Spirit. Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit, and this is known as the baptism in or with the Holy Spirit. Let's go back to Matthew, the third chapter, verse number 11, right quick. And then we'll look at John 1 and 33. Matthew chapter number... 3, verse number 11. Now, this message, guys, is designed to enlighten us. Because here's what I've observed in the church today. We have, I think we have some good churches. I think we have people who are sincere. But I don't think that we've really tapped into what God says is available for us to be uh, uh, transformers of our community. 
God wants us as Christians to be in a position where we are empowered to witness, empowered to transform the place that we live. Look at what the text says here in Matthew 3 11. It says what? I indeed baptize you with water. Who is talking here, guys? Who's talking here? John the Baptist. He says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall what? Baptize you what? With the Holy Ghost and with fire. Who's he talking about? Jesus. So, Again, water baptism is given by a disciple of Christ, a man, an ordained minister who takes you into the water. Jesus doesn't baptize you with water, but he does baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Can I get a witness? Now watch. Go to John 1 and 33. Again. John 1 and 33. Glory to God. Holy Spirit baptism. Something that we got to understand and we got to know. Holy Spirit baptism. Glory to God. The text says this. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see, watch this, upon whom thou shalt see the spirit descending and remaining on him. This is God talking to, to, to John the Baptist. The same is he which does what? Baptize with what? Who is he talking about? Jesus. Okay. So here's John the Baptist saying, the one who, 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 who gave me my commandment, that's God the Father, tells me there's one that's coming after me upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending. Amen? Amen. Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him the same as he was baptized with the Holy Ghost. Now, I got news for you guys. Up until this point, the Holy Spirit under the old covenant came upon men, but he didn't stay. In the Old Testament, when you read the Spirit of God will come upon a man, empower him to do a supernatural work, but the Holy Spirit wouldn't stay because it wasn't time. The, the day of Pentecost had not taken place yet. Everybody stay with me. So under the old covenant, the Spirit would come and empower, but he would leave. But now notice what the difference is. It says, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him. See, when John the Baptist took Jesus down into the Jordan River to baptize him, the spirit descended as a dove and landed on him and remained on him. What was the spirit getting ready to do? The spirit was getting ready to empower the son to do the work here on earth. Isn't it amazing that Jesus, and most theologians agree wholeheartedly that Jesus, amen, started his ministry at about 30 years of age. Isn't it amazing that Jesus never really did any public ministry until he was filled with the Holy Spirit? Until the Holy Spirit descended upon him. Now, how is it that Jesus needed the empowering source of the Holy Spirit to do ministry, but we don't? Oh, we can do it by ourselves. We smart. We studied it. We know it. We can do it. We can get strategy. We can do ministry strategy protocol and we can make it happen. Listen, baby, until the Holy Spirit empowers you, you're going to be limited in your work of ministry. If Jesus needed him, I need him too. Can I get a witness? Now, again, notice again in those verses, he, the he in those verses is Jesus is doing the baptizing. No human has ever received the commission to baptize with the Holy Spirit. Let me repeat that. No human has ever received the commission to baptize with the Holy Spirit. This is an office which Jesus has reserved for himself alone, guys. He's the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. Now, again, we've been talking uh, 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 about uh, the three baptisms. And somebody, somebody will say, well, Pastor, I think you, 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 you're in blasphemy because the Bible says one Lord, one faith, one baptism. You say it's three baptisms, and the Bible says it's one baptism. Well, let's go and examine the text. Go to Ephesians chapter number four, because I heard an old Baptist per, per, person saying in their mind right there. I heard some of your old time Baptist folks saying in your mind, it's only one baptism, Pastor. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. That's on our program every week. I've told you before, guys, if you're going to get understanding from the scripture, you must be able to do the exegetical homework, the who, what, when, where, and why, understand proper context, 
before you build a doctrine or a way of thinking without having full understanding. Scripture interprets Scripture. Go to Ephesians 4. Let's start at verse number 3, okay? What about this? You say this three. I gave you three. I said one of them is water baptism. Well, first of all, we talked about was the baptism of the Holy, Holy Ghost because the Holy Spirit takes us and places us, or baptized or immerses us into the body of Christ. Baptism of. Everybody say baptism of. That happens when I get saved. Water baptism is the second type, second, second number of baptism, where I am baptized by water by a disciple of Christ. An ordained minister takes me and places me in the water, and I come back up. Now, again, I said it before, you can get baptized physically, but if your heart hadn't changed, you really hadn't gotten the baptism of the Holy Ghost because baptism in water doesn't save you. Amen? Y'all with me? Now, watch this. Watch this. Here's Paul talking to um, uh, the church at Ephesus, and watch what he says here. Ready? Let's read. Make every effort to keep yourselves, what? United in the Spirit. Again, context. Everybody say context. What do I mean when I say context? Context is what is happening and what is surrounding that verse of Scripture that you're reading. I got to understand the context if I'm going to understand the, what the verse really means. Okay? I got to know context because if I take a scripture out of context, I can make it say something that it doesn't really say. Here, Paul is dealing with the church at Ephesus and he's talking to these Gentile believers about unity in the body of Christ. Make every effort, effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with what? With peace, okay? With peace. Next verse says what? Let's read. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. That's what he says in verse 5. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Keep reading. One God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. When Paul wrote to the Ephesian believers about one baptism, he was reminding them that regardless of their background or their nationality, they all served the same Lord, shared the same faith, and experienced the same baptism. What is that? The baptism of the Holy Ghost. Because Jew and Gentile believer were baptized, what, into one body, the body of Christ. That one baptism was taking all of us, whether we Jew or Gentile, and places us into the body of Christ. I like the way uh, my good friend, Pastor Tim Ross, said it when we were doing uh, the, uh, the interview on the series of, of racism in the church. He says, as far as God is concerned, he only sees two races, Jew and Gentile. God don't really see black and white in the sense that we in, in America and, and other countries just focus in on black and white. He sees either Jew, which was his chosen generation, the, the, the generation or the, the, the nation or the ethnic, ethnic group that he chose to birth the saving to the earth ram through. Either you're a natural born Jew or you are a Gentile. And here's what Christ did in his crucifixion. He brought the two together. If you study Ephesians and other passages of Scripture, the body of Christ is all about unity. And guys, I've been studying this thing here over the past month or two as we've been doing this multi-ethnic Bible study group. Uh, some great brothers and sisters who come together and say, let's study this out. Let's come together and show how the body of Christ should be. Guys, the enemy wants to bring division. Because all throughout Ephesians and other books of the Bible, Paul is talking about the fact that Christianity and our faith should bring us together and not divide us. And the enemy has, has did a yeoman's job of, of disrupting the flow of God's work in earth because he brings division, whether it be by race, whether it be by denomination, whether it be by where country you're from. He don't care. He just wants to divide. And we think it's all about race, but it, the enemy will take whatever to divide us. He'll take a cowboy fan versus a saint fan and divide you. Hello? 
He'll take an Alabama fan, an LSU fan, and if that'll divide you, he'll use that to divide you. Come on. Back in the old days, plain dealing was Benton driver. He'll take a Benton tiger and a plain dealing line and say, y'all can't worship together because y'all are arch rivals. Whatever he can do to divide, that's what he'll do. Can I get a witness? He's about division, but God in his church is about unification. And so that's what he's dealing with. He says one baptism there. He's talking about taking us and baptizing the body of Christ. He's dealing with unity. Everybody say unity. The Holy Spirit works to unify believers and provides assurance, amen, that they are children of God. Now, again, when he says that one baptism, he could be referring to water baptism because all believers have the same testimony of salvation and have been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Or he could be referring to the spirit baptism where all believers have been placed into the body of Christ through the Spirit's power. Either way, the emphasis is on unity among Christians. Everybody say unity among Christians. Guys, the Holy Spirit works to unify believers. Go with me, if you will, to Romans the 8, chapter, verse number 16. Now, I got to ask you a question. Let's see. How many of y'all play on the team? Anybody play on the team? Anybody play? We got hundreds of volleyball team here. Okay. We got hundreds of high school. Let's get hundreds of high school volleyball team a hand. Give them a hand. Girls, I came and watched y'all play a couple times. Y'all did an outstanding job. Y'all, y'all, y'all made monumental steps from last year, and you're getting better. Keep on improving. Rome wasn't built overnight, but y'all got something going. But now watch this. If you ever played on an athletic team, one of the key things that has to be a part of a championship winning team is what? Unity. Come on. It has to be what? Unity. Anytime you have a team, whether it's volleyball, basketball, or football, and then you got this one person over there complaining throwing a fit because they're not getting the ball thrown to them enough or they're not playing enough and it becomes all about them, it brings what? Disunity into the locker room. There are some guys whose careers were cut short because they were a cancer in the locker room. I remember uh, watching, uh, 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 he changed his name. It was Chad Johnson, I believe, but he goes by Ocho Cinco. That ought to tell you something right there. Just change your name. Okay. To each his own. The guy was a stellar athlete. Terrell Owens, another one. Stellar athlete. Awesome wide receiver. But guess what? Caused disunity in the locker room. So much so, it got to the point that nobody wanted to have them on their team because they knew that they were going to bring disunity. And so what God is saying with the body of Christ, it's about unity. The devil brings disunity. Anytime you find separation in the church, guess what? The devil is at work. Are y'all with me today? So it's about unity. By reminding the church that they all had a similar testimony and that they were all partakers, guys, in the same Holy Spirit, Paul encouraged them to work together for the cause of Christ. So that the message of redemption will continue to spread throughout the world. Now, again, go back to Romans 8 and 16. That's what I told you we're going to. Romans 8 and 16. Watch what the text says. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are what? That we are God's children. Go to Ephesians 1, 12 through 14. Ephesians 1, 12 through 14. Let's look at that right quick. Ephesians 1, 12 through 14. The text says, read, read out loud. God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to to God. Who's writing here, guys? The Apostle Paul is writing. Who's he writing to? The church at Ephesus. Paul, guys, by ethnic evaluation, is a Jew. He's a part of the chosen generation. Paul says God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. Look at verse number 13. Let's read. It says what? And now you Gentiles, watch this, have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believe in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you what? 
the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. Verse number 14, read it out loud. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would what? Praise and glorify him. I want to know how many praises do we have in the house. I want to know how many we have, how many Christians do we have in the house who are willing to glorify him. He did it so you can praise him and glorify him. Guys, we got to recognize this. Okay? So, so, so that, 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 that statement, one Lord, one faith, baptism is not at odds with what I just told you, the three, three, the number of baptism, baptism of the Holy Spirit that happens when I get saved. The Holy Spirit takes me. He's the baptizer into the body of Christ. The second type is the water baptism. After I've been baptized by the Christ, I go and, and follow up with water baptism, which shows the outside world that, hey, I made an inward confession. And then third, which is the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we say be filled with the Holy Spirit, the baptism in or with the Holy Spirit. And who does that baptizing? Jesus does. Now, that, that's important because I, I, I'm going to walk through something real carefully with you. When a person, hear me carefully, the baptism with the Holy Spirit should be an encounter with Jesus, not just an experience we seek. Are y'all with me today? It's an encounter with Jesus, not just an experience that we seek. When a person desires to be baptized with water, he presents himself as a candidate and the minister baptizes him, right? All right. He doesn't have to do anything. Rather, he allows something to be done to him. This is critical, right? Likewise, when a person desires to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, he need only present himself as a candidate and Jesus, the baptizer, baptizes him with the Holy Spirit. He doesn't have to do anything. He merely presents himself to Jesus and accept his baptism with the Holy Spirit. Now, the baptism with the Holy Spirit is thus an encounter with Jesus. There has to be a shift from seeking an experience like some people are doing and having an encounter with Christ. Stop seeking an experience and look for an encounter with Christ. I, I want to I share this with you. Uh, there's a, uh, there's a, a, a South African-born Pentecostal preacher. He's dead and gone now, but his name was David Duplessis. And David Duplessis, he was one of the main founders of the charismatic movement um, that spread the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the speaking in other tongues. Uh, and he, he, was, he was one of the leading figures in taking that message of the baptism with the Holy Spirit and that being evidence of speaking in other tongues. He was one of the leading people in the charismatic movement who took that to mainline non-apostolic type churches. Are y'all with me? And I want to read a letter that he, that he wrote that, that, that explains a lot of this, and I want y'all to hear me real carefully. He says, he says, often I receive letters from folks who have grown up in churches with a, weather, with a rather quiet yet deeply reverent form of worship where deep emotion is appreciated, but excited emotion or emotionalism is frowned on. How many of y'all ever went to a church where if you said amen, they turn around and look? EBC. EBC used to be one of those churches. It was one of those churches where uh, when, you, when, you, when, when you said amen, people would turn around and stare at you. How many of y'all went to one of those churches where uh, when, you, when you, if you stood up and raised hands like this, people would turn around and look at you like you were crazy. What's going on with her? Why is that man raising his hands? Why is he holding his hands back? We don't do that at our church. We are Baptist church. He, he needs to go to the sanctified church. You remember how ignorant we were, people were? Not realizing that sanctification ain't got nothing to do with denomination. Are y'all with me? But, 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 there, but there are people who grew up in those quiet, reverent churches. And, 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 and they, he says this, he says, well, he says, uh, I received letters from folks who have grown up in churches with a rather quiet yet deeply reverent form of worship where deep emotion is appreciated, but excited emotion or emotionalism is frowned upon. And when such folks come into churches where 
excited emotion is looked upon as a sign of the fullness of the Holy Spirit, they find it difficult to enjoy real worship. Listen, listen to this. It says this particularly has reference to the tarrying or receiving meetings. Those who wrestle in prayer and storm the gates of heaven with great noise often end up with nothing but that and yet feel they had a good meeting. You go to some churches, ain't nothing said, no revelation given, but they show up, boy, they shouted. Ooh, that choir song. Ooh, the spirit was high. Y'all ever heard that term? How does the spirit get high? He don't get high. See, we take emotionalism sometimes to mean the presence of the Holy Spirit. I got to teach you this morning, okay? Can y'all walk with me? Listen to what this guy says. He says, those who wrestle in prayer and storm the gates of heaven with great noise often end up with nothing but that, and yet they feel they had a good meeting. They are the ones who complain when others are baptized in the Holy Spirit in a quiet yet deeply consecrated atmosphere. They say it was too easy. The others say the noisy wrestling, groaning, and hand-wringing, and falling, and rolling is too emotional. Well, which one is right? Listen to what Duplessis said. He says, John the Baptist declares that God said that whereas he would baptize in water, Christ would baptize in the Holy Spirit. John's baptism was a river baptism. People could drink of the water. They could splash in the river. They, 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 could, they, could, they could swim in the river, and they could dive in the river. All would be perfect, perfectly correct and enjoyable, he says. But if any of those wanted to be baptized in the river, they would have to stop drinking, stop splashing, stop swimming, and stop diving. They would have to do nothing but quietly and reverently enter the water till they came to the baptist, the one who's going to baptize them. Before he baptized them, they would even have to stop breathing and talking. How many of you know you can't get baptized and still be talking? You can't, be, you can't get baptized and go down in the water and still be breathing. You got to hold your breath. So what is, he, what is he trying to say? He says, really, just like uh, water baptism, you'll give an analogy. Listen to this. He says, he says uh, they would have to do nothing but, he says, but if any of those want to be baptized in the river, they would have to stop drinking, splashing, swimming, and diving. They would have to do nothing but quietly and reverently enter the water till they came to the one who's baptizing them. And before he baptized them, they would have to be, stop breathing or talking. He could baptize each one only, only as they would stop doing and allow him to immerse them. This is the image that God gave to John the Baptist, which Jesus would give. Some drink, some splash, some swim, some dive in order to get the baptism of the Holy Spirit as if it depended upon what they did. Others come quietly and in deep consecration, they surrender to Christ, the baptizer, and depend on what he does for them. That's the easy baptism. It is followed by great rejoicing. Now he says you can drink and you can splash and you can swim all you want to in the river of life because it's flowing from within. But but he says all the noise is splashing, swimming, diving, and it's going to take longer for you to get the baptism of the Holy Spirit because guess what, guys? He says until you get exhausted and trying to do things on your own, only then will the baptizer, Jesus Christ, come in and baptize you with the Holy Spirit. There are too many folks who are trying to conjure up the Holy Spirit. You got to come in and you got to tear it. You got to foam with the mouth. That ain't what the scripture says. Because every time you try to do it, you're on your own, God's going to sit back and wait on you to stop trying to do it on your own. Say, okay, when you get tired, when you get tired of wrestling and trying to do it on your own and it ain't work for you, then come to me, just sit back and let me do what I do. That happens in our own lives. Many of y'all sitting back there trying to, trying to make stuff happen trying to do this, and you do it on your own strength, and God said, I'm here available waiting for you. I'm just waiting on you to stop trying to do it on your own, and if you'll come to me and just rest in me and have an encounter with me, I'll fill you with my Holy Spirit. I'll transform your life. I'll give you the power source. Stop trying to do it on your own. Are y'all still with me? Now watch this. He says this, uh, those who realized that by faith they quietly yielded to the baptizer and by faith began to speak as the Spirit gave utterance are able to continue to do so even in their own quiet daily devotion. So guys, what he's saying is that quit trying to work for it and let the Holy Spirit do what he does. Now look at this. What do these three baptisms do in our life? 
Look at your outline. Number one, when we get saved, we become a new new person. Remember what? I think it's 1 Corinthians 5 or 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's what? He's a new creature. Old things have what? Passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If any man be in Christ, he's what? A new creation. Now, that does not mean that everything about you physically is new. As a matter of fact, if you weighed 170 pounds before you got saved, the moment after you get saved, you still gonna weigh what? 170 pounds. Hello? Physically, there's not a new person, physically, but there is a new person spiritually because all of us are three-part being. We're spirit, soul, and body. What part of us is born again? The spirit man. It's the spirit man that becomes new. Amen? Not your soul realm. It's your spirit man that becomes new. The soul man, soul realm includes your emotions, your intellect, your thought processes, and all that has to be renewed so that God can use you to do kingdom business. But it starts with a regeneration of the spirit man. Because your body, if you're 70 years old, your hair is great. Once you get saved, you're going to be 70 years old, your hair is still going to be great. But you're going to know Jesus. Amen? So we got to realize that, guys, that, that, that when we get saved, we become a new person. Number two, when we get baptized with water, the old person is cut off. What we're saying is, I, I died to the old man, and I resurrected the new man. When true salvation takes place, when you truly give your heart to Jesus. Now listen, hear me, hear me carefully. Are there people who said the words but didn't have transformation and really believe? Absolutely. Because it's not really about just saying the words. I told y'all before, you can say the words and your heart ain't changed and you're still not saved. You can walk down that aisle, give the preacher your hand, we can set up a time to baptize you, but if your heart has not changed, you're not saved. See, true belief will be backed up by corresponding action. What do you mean, Brother Pastor? Are you, are you saying, Pastor, that once I get, if I'm truly saved, I won't ever mess up? That's not what I said. Because the truth be told, all of us, even since we've been born again, have made some bad choices and bad decisions. Can I get two hands raised out there? How many of you out there say, Pastor, I wish I could have some decisions back? I mean, I, I did some messed up stuff that messed me up, messed my family up, and I, I wish I could go back in time. Unfortunately, we don't have the ability to go back in time. As a matter of fact, I, I don't think it would be good for us in that because some, some things happen in our life and God used it to teach us, to mold us, and to shape us. I don't know about you, but some of the stuff that I've been through, some of the stuff that I had to, to deal with has caused me, amen, to be a better person in Christ Jesus. It was not pleasant when I went through it. It was, I, 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 I wouldn't relish going through it again, but I thank God that he brought me through it. Can I get a witness? He brought me through it. I heard somebody say, if God brings you to it, he'll bring you through it. I, I think I like that. Because when we get baptized with water, the old person is cut off. What we're saying is, I've died to the old man. I've been resurrected to the new man. Third thing, when we get baptized in or with the Holy Spirit, we get the power to walk in the new. Okay? We be, when we get saved, we become a new person. But here's where we're falling short. Many of us have not been empowered to walk in this new way of life. We just go to church. We just do religious things. We don't even study our Bible. But we've not been empowered to walk in newness of life. Amen? In order to go to heaven, you just got to get saved. You, you, if, if you were to get saved today and, and don't get a chance to get baptized... Just like the thief on the cross, you, you can still be in heaven. The thief on the cross says, Jesus, when you go into your kingdom, remember me. That's all he said. And what that was was a profession that I believe in you, Christ. Otherwise, I wouldn't be telling you if I don't believe you, you got a kingdom that's coming. I wouldn't tell you to remember me when you go into your kingdom. Never got baptized. But guess what, guys? Jesus says, you're going to be with me. 
So again, remember, in order to go to heaven, you got to get saved. But to walk in power and newness of life, we have to receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Now watch this. My time is up today, but next week, we're going to look at these scripture references from the, from the, from, from the New Testament. And what I want to do is uh, I want to I show you the pattern that's in the New Testament. And let's see if we can get to the point to where we can understand it better. I'm going to talk about being baptized with the Holy Spirit. We're going to see that in the, in, in the book of Acts on several occasions. One of the ways that they knew and the Jews knew that the Gentiles had had the same experience, which is the baptism with the Holy Spirit, that they had was they heard them speak in other tongues. Now, again, tongues, for, for whatever reason, which I don't quite understand it, has been a lightning rod in some of our churches. In other words, some of your mainline traditional churches don't embrace the Holy Spirit's work and they don't, resp- they don't embrace the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But I would tell you that's part of the problem with some of our mainline churches and charismatic churches who've taken it out of, out of, out of balance. I believe that if we learn what it means to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and that can be uh, evidenced by speaking other tongues and we're going to talk about proper use of tongues in the corporate assembly so that, so that we can understand what the Bible is teaching us. God says, I've given you the power source. Now start to utilize, seek after me. Seek after me, not after an experience. A quiet experience. Does everybody who's filled with the Holy Ghost speak in a tongue? Not necessarily, but there are those who do. And what we're going to do is we're going to understand that the power source enables us to be able to do the work of ministry and walk in newness of life. Are you ready to learn something? Well, come back next week and we'll talk about and finish up on baptism with the Holy Spirit. Every head, body, by closing.